Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. When we look at the world around us and the government that we serve under, it is it's kind of hard to believe sometimes that this is what God had in mind for us when he created the heavens and earth and when he created government. Yet there is a real hope that civil government can, can one day can still play a role in bringing a future where God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're going to talk about today with our special guest, Gary DeMar, on episode 95 of the Liberty Cafe. Hi, I'm Bill Peacock, and welcome to episode 95 of the Liberty Cafe. It is a blessing to have you here with me, as it is every time. And it's also a blessing to be sponsored by Texas Scorecard. It's a great organization of, of men and women over there see, seeking to bring conservative and Christian values to the public policy debate here in Texas. So I encourage everybody to go over to texasscorecard.com and see what they're doing and see what you can do to, to bring the fight to liberty uh, to your local governments and the state government in the state that you live. Well, when I first heard about our guest, uh, Gary DeMar, it was back when I was uh, working, well, I still do do this, but I was working more closely in and around the Texas Capitol. You know, for most of my um, uh, listeners, I, you know, you know, I started way back when, back in 1989, working the Texas Capitol. And then about 2005, I started working the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And I think it was about 2007 or eight that I joined with a group of legislative staffers to, to study, you know, this issue of God and government, right? How could we as Christians who are engaged in the political process bring more of God's word to the work we were doing and to the policies that were being implemented and shaped through our very jobs? And, and so we, we picked up uh, God and Government by Gary DeMar. It was a three-volume work back then. I think you can get it now all in one piece. Well, I know you can because I use it for teaching my uh, economics and government class um, that I'm teaching right now at a classical Christian school. So we started studying that. I think we went through it for about a year and a half. It's it's a pretty big volume. I think it's about 800 pages or something like that. So that there's was my of, There are a lot of pictures in it, though. <laughs> there's a lot of pictures, <laughs> says Gary. All right. So anyway, so that's where I first ran across Gary DeMar. And ever since then, I've been just blessed by the work that he and uh, American Vision has been doing for that. And so, uh, you know, I think Gary has been the president of American Vision for over 40 years. Um, he's a graduate of Western Michigan University, where I believe he was a very good shot putter and uh, athlete, and then went to Reform Theological Seminary back in the 1970s with a lot of very great minds and uh, a lot of very good I think, formative times for, for uh, evangelical Reformed Christianity back in those days. And so he's written countless books, a lot more than I'll be able to read in my lifetime, I think. So I'm really blessed to have you with us today on the Liberty Cafe, Gary. Well, it's good to be here. Um, so I want to just dive right into the book, but and we'll just do start with there. 
and and then I'd also like to hear a little bit before we go about American Vision. But you begin this book, God and Government, with what seems like a simple question: What is government? Most of us kind of have an idea what government is. It doesn't seem that complicated. Why did you start with that question? Well, this was uh, the first volume came out in 1982, and depending on how old people are these days, but you know, 1982, we're looking at 40 40 years ago. And we we just came off of a a very contentious election. Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter ran as a born again uh, Christian and president. And the the, the media at that particular time really didn't have any idea what that was. In fact, it was so bad that uh, uh, Billy Graham actually had to write a a book uh, about what it means to be born again. And there really wasn't a Christian voting block uh, up until the time of, of Jimmy Carter. Uh, there was, you know, there's kind of a Catholic voting block. There's a Jewish voting block. But for the most part, uh, evangelicals weren't really part of the, the, the political, political scene. It's not that they didn't vote, but there were very, very few spokespeople regarding all that. And what I saw with the election of Ronald Reagan uh, which was a landslide election, both in 1980 and 1984, uh, is that I was kind of a, it was kind of concerning uh, to me that that a lot of Christians saw politics as the the end all, rather than the, rather than the political sphere as being one aspect of a Christian worldview, that they saw that we needed to get involved in, in politics in order to change things, which was, which was a very good thing. So what I thought what was necessary is to get back to define what government was all about, because government had become a synonym for politics. Government had become a synonym for the national, for national government. You, you talk about the government, we talk generally about Washington, D.C. In, in, in biblical terms, that just isn't the case. In biblical terms, God is the governor of all things. Uh, the government rests on his shoulder. And then what God had, had, has done is he has established um, jurisdictional, limited jurisdictional governments and family government, church government, and civil government, all decentralized with the underlying factor that self-government really feeds into each one of those. And so the, the, the basics of, of government in our culture today really rests on the individual. Well, how does, a, how does the individual view himself or herself in relationship to God as a governor of all things? And then how does that relate to the civil sphere of government, which of course has the power of the sword? And, and so that, so I, I just began to sketch out literally with a, you know, a, a pad, line pad, and just wrote down questions and then answered, you know, try to answer those questions. And it ended up being a book and it ended up being three books. Uh, and it covers pretty much God and government. The book covers that diversity of jurisdictions related to the application of these various governments to, to the way that we live. Well, you, you mentioned in there that the, uh, the Isaiah 9 passage where the, the government right. rests on, it talks about the child and the government will rest on his shoulders. Obviously, it's referring to Christ from a prophetic standpoint. But then Jesus comes along and says, my kingdom is not of this world. How do you reconcile those two statements? Yeah, that was uh, that was another book I wrote called. Originally, it was called "You've Heard It Said," and the other, the new title is "Myths, Lies, and Half Truths." And uh, you know, the John the Baptist says, "Hey, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is near." 
the kingdom of God is near. So there's some aspect in which the kingdom of God is a is a near presence. It's 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 here. And I think when Jesus is dealing with Pilate and answering the questions, remember the Sadducees and the Pharisees bring political charges against Jesus. Uh, they they don't bring religious charges against Jesus. They bring political charges against Jesus, and they actually lie about the political charges. Right. So here's Pilate, really not aware of of what's going on here with this Jesus. All he's doing is he's hearing what these these religious leaders in Israel are saying, he's, you know, he said, hey, oh, this, this Jesus, uh, he says we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, well, that, that certainly got the ear of Pilate because the last thing Pilate wanted was an insurrection. And you had the zealots already positioning themselves uh, against, against the Roman Empire. And then not too many years later, 40 years later, you actually had an insurrection by Jewish, the Jewish people over against the Roman government. What Jesus was saying is, is that his that his kingdom does not derive its authority and power from this world. It's not, I use the analogy, it's not plugged in down here. His kingdom uh, is saying is not of this world. He does not say his kingdom is not over this world. He does not say his kingdom does not apply to this world. He does not, his kingdom does not derive its power and authority from this world. And if it, if it did, it would be a kingdom like the Roman government. It would run on the ter- in terms of a political power. It would run on the terms of the, the, uh, the application of the sword. It would, under, uh, it would operate in terms of, of, of armies. So Jesus is simply saying, my kingdom is not like your kingdom that is very limited in power and, and, uh, and, and really resides on the basis of, of, of power and the authority of the state. Okay, so we've got we've had Jesus, whose kingdom is over the kingdoms of the world, or as, as you as you talked a minute ago, uh, over the governments of the world. And you described the these three governments: the family government, the church government, and the civil government, and all sort of underpinned by self government or self control. How do we have it wrong? How do we have that set up wrong? These different governments. How are they not working? like they're supposed to be working today? Well, again, I think we've gotten away from a, the a biblical model because we've gotten away from the idea that the Bible actually addresses these things. Uh, and, you know, we, we hear, well, as you mentioned, Jesus said his kingdom is not of this world. Some people say Jesus never got involved in politics. We're not supposed to judge. There's a separation between church and state. Our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, and uh, you can't impose your morality on other people. And you hear these things over and over and over again, and you find you. I think you find Christian leaders and pastors making, turning Christianity into a, a an individual uh, uh, application of God's word. That the Bible only applies to the individual, and it might spread out into the family and maybe into business and so forth, but. A lot of Christians just have this idea that the Bible doesn't address those topics, and one of the other ones is, of course, that a lot of people say, "Well, anyway, we're living, we're living in the last days, and we, we've heard about how bad things are going to get, and there's really nothing we can do to change, you know, to change anything." So I, again, I, I think you know people just don't have, an, they've never been taught, they've never been taught that the family is a government, and yet it does it. it has parents who are who are authorities. They have you know, obey your parents in the Lord. 
and doing so you will live long on on the earth. There are sanctions if you if you dis, if you disobey a parent. There are there are negative sanctions if you obey a parent. There there are uh, positive sanctions. And church government, church. You know, if you look at First Timothy chapter three, the church is the government. Now, there are leaders in the church. Uh, you and I go to a Presbyterian church, and that, that Greek the, the word Presbyterian is a Greek word um, presbyteros. That we're we're ruled by elders in, in the church. Uh, our our not our um, war for independence was called a Presbyterian revolt because they the Presbyterians understand a decentralized ecclesiastical sphere. They also said that the same should take place in the political sphere, that it should be decentralized, that not one, we shouldn't just have a king, we shouldn't just have one person in power, we shouldn't just have a few people in power, that, that, that power and authority is dispersed and limited, and that's what they, that's what they were fighting for. And I, my guess is most Christian pastors, I was in seminary, we never really dealt with these types of things, and I suspect there are a lot of pastors t- today who've never thought about these things and are maybe even are a little afraid to uh, to address these topics because they have people of different political persuasions in their congregation and they don't want to start a fight. Um, so you've, you talked about this concept of the different spheres of government and I've heard the, the, the family talked about by some people as the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare. And in your book, you, you write that um, individuals, churches, and private charities should tend to the needs of the poor. So is there no role for, for civil government in these areas? Does civil government have any business operating programs like Medicaid and, and welfare and Social Security? I, I don't believe so. I think it, I think this all should be done, you know, privately. Uh, and you know, here, here, what you have here is, is the government, uh, Social Security. Social Security started off as a really good idea. If you you think about it, hey, you pay into a little bit, uh, then over time when you retire, uh, you'll get you'll get money back. Well, I don't know why we as private citizens just can't do that on our own. And a lot of it has to do with a lot of people aren't responsible. But think about what's happening to the Social Security system. When, when the Social Security was established, there were 30 people paying into Social Security for every one person receiving from Social Security. And, uh, and you go, now it's today that's probably down to three, possibly two to one people paying into Social Security who are actually receiving. And this, this it, it's, it's, and what we've done, we've, in, we've increased, we've increased the amount of, um, of of money that's being dis- dispensed through through Social Security, and as a result of that, then people then people as a result of that say, oh, I've got Social Security, so I when I retire, I really don't need to save that much. And now we're beginning to see a crisis that people are trying to rely on Social Security, and they don't have enough saved for themselves because they didn't really think through the process of all this. We need to take self government. We need to. We need to, pastors need to start teaching people, go to the book of Proverbs. You, you, you plan for the future. You sit down, you put away a certain amount of money. Now you invest that money. And, and over time you end up, uh, you know, with a, with a fairly good re- retirement program uh, on, on your own. The government shouldn't be involved in the process. So it, I guess part of what you're saying is that there's this design that government has for 
government and we're not doing a very good job with that. And, and we can see that in, in some of the problems of government today, right? Social security is not working. Welfare doesn't work like, you know, Marvin Olasky pointed out in his, his, his famous book and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all these programs, <clears throat> all these programs look good on paper, uh, but they don't take into account human, human nature. Like they're, there are actually people proposing uh, a, a minimum income that the government would give a certain amount of money to people, uh, and and then people start saying, "Well, wow, I why why should I be working?" I think the same thing happened with with COVID when we started giving giving money out to people for free. They ended up quitting quitting work because they they did the calculations. They're saying, "Hey, if I go to work, I'm going to have to pay Social Security tax. I'm going to have to pay Medicare." Uh, Medicare tax, I'm going to have to pay just regular taxation. And they say, they, they did the math. I'm going to have to travel to work. I'm going to have to buy gasoline. I may have to get, you know, some new clothes and so forth. So a lot of people ended up staying home as a result of the government just handing money out to them. And, and I think we have a, we do have a welfare class of people today. And we've created that class by more and more programs. And I, we have at, in essence, uh, created a multi-generational uh, group of people who are solely dependent upon governmental programs. And that's just, that's not healthy for us as individuals, and it's not healthy for us as families or as, 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 as a nation. Yeah, so you mentioned centralization here, and in your, in your book, you spend a fair amount of time talking about centralization, and particularly you point to, to Babel. You know, I, I, the Tower of Babel. So I think most Christians, when we think about the Tower of Babel, it's it's about these this group of people building a tower to reach heaven so they can be like God, kind of the the Adam and Eve problem. But and I, while I think that's true, you you talk a lot about how it's a really an issue about centralization, right? That the, these people were supposed to be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and instead of that, they're all congregating in one place, centralizing power. And authority, um, the the founders of our country recognized this as a problem, um, and, and they set up a government that was designed to deal with that. What, what's happened to that government that they they put together? Well, uh, if you if you pick if you pick up the Constitution of the United States, it's not a very big document. And the Constitution of the United States, we have to go back a little bit and understand that the, the reason we ended up with a national uh, central government was because we had 13 we had 13 colonies 13 states that had their own governors and they had their their own constitutions and so forth and uh, they were operating they were operating in in, in a way that was not um, uh, cooperative and so the states got together and said look we there's some things that that the national that a national government can do and so let's let's give that national government some power. And that some power, I think, is is has has got has gotten now to the point where it is much it's it's no longer some power, it's almost complete authoritarian power. And the, but if you go back to the Constitution, you will see that the Constitution is a document of enumerated powers, very specific. This is these are this is the, the authority and the power that the civil government has at the national level. And that's all. 
only those things listed in the Constitution. And those things which aren't listed in the Constitution are reserved for the states. We see that with, with the amendments 9 and 10. And if the states don't have it, then the counties have it. And if the counties don't have it, it those things reside with the people. That was the system that we had. But over time, we turned more and more authority over to the national government. We gave it taxing power. We created agencies. Uh, the 1970s, under Jimmy Carter's administration, we ended up with a Department of Education. And yet you will not even, the word education doesn't appear anywhere in the Constitution. And we've never needed a Department of Education. We, we sent people to the moon. We sent men to the moon uh, without, without a National Department of Education. And so we've, we, these things are sold to us as really great things. But what, what ends up happening is, is more and more power are given to bureaucrats who are now telling us what to do, how to live. You got some states saying, well, we're going we're gonna to abolish uh, in the internal combustion engine uh, and we're going to force you. You're, we're going to force you to take on a, a, a electric cars. Hey, I'm not opposed to electric cars, but the marketplace will determine whether or not electric cars will work or not. And there are different environments for electric cars. You can't probably use them in the Northeast during the wintertime. So we have just, we've turned more and more power and authority over the national government with the claim that those, if we give them that power, that things will be better for us in the long haul. Well, I'm going to break in here. That was the first half of my interview with Gary DeMar. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, I certainly learned a lot. And then we're going to pick up next week with the second half, where he starts us off by talking about, well, if we don't like the government that we have now, what type of government should we be building? And he'll, he'll start us off with that, and we'll have about another 20 minutes or so of conversation with him next week on the Liberty Cafe. So thank you for joining us this week, and thanks as always to our sponsors, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate this show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.